0: Welcome everyone to the Special Education Inner Circle podcast. I'm your host Catherine Witcher and today we're going to talk about what is happening in special education right now. We've been through a lot since March and we're getting ready to wrap up 2020, thank goodness, by 2020. But with all the latest updates of what's happening in schools with all the latest information of who's going back to school, who's not going back to school. Most people are not. Who's shutting down again or who's shutting down more when it comes to school buildings. We've got to really face the reality that things are not going to go back to whatever normal was as soon as we were hoping. And I think in some aspects, of course, we've already accepted that. We never expected things to last this long. But I do know that most people were hoping that before the end of 2020, we would be back on a much more reasonable school schedule or a much more accessible virtual learning experience. And that's simply not happening. And it's important as we move forward that we don't consider these solutions that we're looking for as temporary going forward. Meaning, yeah, of course, at some point, everybody's going to be back in school. But we've made a lot of Band-Aid fixes with the thought of, and hopefully we will be back next month or, okay, after the election. Okay, well, um, I'm sure the first of the year. And, and now we're getting notices. I mean, it's November. We're getting notices that schools aren't going back anytime before spring break. And a lot of them are already alluding that it's not going to happen until the end of the year. So just know that if you're hearing that from your district, of course, you're not alone. If you haven't heard that from your district, um, you you know, if it comes down the chain of command that that's what's going to happen, you're definitely not alone. There's a lot of things that are working. There's a lot of things that aren't working. But what I want to start avoiding is making decisions based on all right, we'll just do this for a few weeks and then I'm sure we'll be back in school because that has been a recipe for disaster and we need to avoid that. So talking through some of the current Situations that are happening is really important so you can get an idea of um, how are things really happening in your district compared to other districts and maybe there are some things that you can take away that you're going to hear today that you can start to apply in your own situation, whether you're a parent or teacher, to help move things forward. So what happened just this morning, in fact, I just logged off of a Zoom meeting with master IEP coaches and special education insiders. Uh, Special education insiders, Insiders are members of the Special Education Inner Circle, where we take these conversations here from the podcast or other um, places where I've met you, right? So out speaking at schools, you know, back in the good old days, or here on Facebook or Instagram or here on the podcast. And you say, I want to talk some more. I want to talk through some solutions. I want to have access to some online trainings. That all happens inside of the Special Education Inner Circle. That's at specialedinnercircle.com. And today was special education office hours. And I'm gonna share with you some of the things that came up so you can hear what has been happening for others. Again, so you can apply this for yourself. So somebody wrote inside of our special education office hours today that they made a request back in May about a child receiving an additional 15 hours of speech services. The district says they don't have the staff And nobody will answer this parent about these extra 15 hours. Now, before you start to go uh, jumping towards what I call the angry advocate process of, well, you need to document and file state complaints and do all of these uh, legal processes to get things done. First, we have to step back and ask some questions. So the first thing I asked this mom who was telling me about the situation was, did the district agree on this additional 15 hours? I don't even know the timeline for that 15 hours, an additional 15 hours, a a quarter, a month, a week, I don't know, um, with that. So, Said, did the district agree so you're saying they're avoiding you know giving these services but did they agree to the services her answer was no they hadn't agreed then i had to start the conversation of does she have the data to support on why an additional 15 hours would be needed and why the number 15 and how would be they be provided one-on-one small group large group their speech services you know those can be delivered a wide variety of ways so I'm not sure where the 15 hours came from. I'm not sure what data exists. And then we can get to some of the legal stuff where it's how did you ask for those 15 hours? She says it was prior written notice, which means a formal letter. But did you document with some solutions that may be possible? So whether it's walk-in services at the school, which even school buildings that are shut down, some students are doing walk-in services for therapies only. Uh, Have you talked about using an outside provider? Have you talked about compromising on the 15 hours? So what this mom needs to do is she's going to write another advocacy letter that's going to show a timeline of all of her communications from May until now. That's super important. This is a really great strategy, guys. So if you can use a timeline to show what has been happening, it gets... uh, to the top of the decision maker chain faster. Meaning that instead of it like sitting around on somebody's desk or in their email inbox, like I don't even know what this email's about, I don't know how to help this parent, uh, somebody needs to figure this out. That's what happens when big decisions go up into the email inboxes. If you have a clear timeline that says in May we did this, in June we did this, in July we did this. In this way somebody who is disconnected From your case, but needs to be part of the decision making of what how to move forward, they can say, okay, (laughs) there's been like 12 different attempts since May to move this forward. Why can't we just do okay? And that admin makes that decision. That principal or that special ed director can help push that decision forward. So a timeline is a really great strategy when you're waiting on a response that is taking much, much, much longer than expected, which is happening a lot, again, in our virus crisis schooling world. And that's not going away anytime soon, as in this push of timelines or deadlines is a a consistent response or non-response. And I get that there's a lot of overwhelm, but we also have to move these conversations forward. So if you want to get to the front of the line in that type of situation, you're going to want to have a timeline format in your advocacy letter. Now, if you want a template for that, you'll head over to specialedinnercircle.com, and that's where you can learn how to become an insider and get that template. If you're a teacher and you're listening to this and you're like, "Oh my gosh, like, I, like an advocacy letter? That's not my job," or "I'm scared when I get those." Mm-mm. This kind of advocacy letter, you actually want to know how to write them so you can share with parents on how to communicate effectively with the school district because parents can be your best advocate too. So it is not a scary place inside of the Inner Circle for Teachers. It's actually a great place for you to learn all sides of special education strategies, which builds more teamwork and collaboration. So um, there are some school districts, this is just kind of a side note to let you guys know some of the decisions that are being made. There's some school districts um, up in the northeastern part of the United States that are staying virtual and that are requiring teachers to come into their classroom to teach. Now. A lot of the teachers have children themselves. They're not allowed to bring their children to school. And the school district's solution is that they're gonna put everybody into a local Salvation Army type room with daycare, childcare, while the teachers go teach in the school buildings. These are the kind of decisions and things that are happening behind the scenes that if you're a parent, you may not be seeing them out in front. I just want you to know that uh, teachers are being bombarded with a lot of just decisions that don't make common sense. (laughs) And we really, um, you know, we have to be supportive of teachers and know that they are working under conditions that are not only different, we know that. Okay, but that there's other people making decisions for them going forward because we all thought we'd be out of this by now. So going forward, the ridiculous decisions haven't slowed down. In fact, they've increased. So here we're hoping like haven't we learned anything in the last six months of like what works and what doesn't work with virtual schooling? Maybe in some districts, but in other districts, not so much. So Um, There's a couple of other hot topics that we covered in our special education office hours today that I know could be a benefit to some of you who are listening. One of them talks about how a child's IEP goals, mom is concerned about them because the IEP goals look lower than they did last year, meaning that they were doing a certain level of math with addition and subtraction, and now the goals are lower than that, meaning that maybe they were doing double digits and now they're doing single digits. The reason that the school gave the parent for this change in IEP goals is that the child was highly dependent on prompts and supports to complete the work. So if the child's going to be independent, they're going to need to kind of go back to a different baseline of skill and learn how to do these skills on their own. Now, I understand how that's concerning for mom, because it it looks like her child's going backwards when really building independence is one of the biggest leaps you can take. Now, that doesn't mean that we should wipe out all of the exposure to the higher level of math. It means that we absolutely can have a compromise that brings in both types of goals, where there's some exposure to the higher level math. And maybe we're taking some data on what the child can do with support. And maybe that support is something as simple as continuing to access the calculator with assistance. Or um, maybe we need to uh, really step back and see where did the child have a gap in their learning that then created more of this need for support. So maybe we don't have to go all the way back to the beginning which is what's happening in these IEP goals. But there's a compromise of somewhere in the middle. We can do some without support. We could do some with support, but we really need some additional baseline data to make sure that we're not stepping too far back or leaping too far forward without building that ability to do skills independently. We also had a huge conversation about the concepts of um Expressive communication, receptive language about children not being able to communicate through the screen, not being able to form their sentences. Meaning, I'm not talking about handwriting and forming their letters. I'm talking about being able to communicate in full sentences and perhaps retell a story in con- like in um continuity. You know, first, next, then, um, being able to make sure that they have the main idea, they can express it, they understand the concepts, their comprehension, and that. And one of the big issues that mom brought is that my child can't write, and that even means typing, can't write down these paragraphs. And I said, well, can the child say the paragraphs? and child can't say the paragraphs either. It's not like the child has all of the structure of the writing compiled up in their head and they just can't get it out in the paperwork. There's a lot of missing skills that the parent is discovering now that we've had to break down the task of comprehension and writing and telling stories. So you're not alone if you're seeing a lot of gaps in skills and things not coming together. Maybe they would if you were in the classroom and there was that extra support and there were different types of prompts that are, were being given, different types of assistance. So I want this parent that I was talking about, they need to know what curriculum is the child using for reading? What curriculum is the child using for writing? What's the baseline in both of those areas? She has to go back to the assessment that was just made in uh, this past fall. They had a reevaluation, so we've got some assessment, but I don't think that she has all the data that she needs, but before she goes to the school and says, we don't have the data, the, you know, you're making decisions without data. The first thing is that you always have to ask the school, where is the data? Can you help me find it? I don't see it. That's a very reasonable thing. Parents, this is a really good strategy. Okay. And I absolutely want our teachers to hear this too, because asking questions is the best way to get to the heart of the conversation and into collaboration to move forward. So I know from this conversation that I was having with the mom, she does not have the information that she needs. Or if that data does exist, she personally doesn't know that data and how that's affecting her child. So we have to start there. So if you have A child or student who is struggling with the writing, meaning forming the sentences, whether they're typing it or they're handwriting it or they're saying it, but just getting those thoughts out, it is absolutely okay to start taking some additional baseline data. Meaning, like just let's just figure out where the child's at. We're trying to move a child forward in this situation, and we're not considering that we might have different levels than what we thought we had. We're seeing a lot of deficits and gaps that were not seen in the classroom, and we need to step back and say, where is this child at? Now, this might be something that um, because the classroom is supportive, the child uh, had a different baseline in the classroom, or it might just be something that we've never even really taken data on before, but we're seeing this deficit, and we need to stop the teaching in the way of let's go forward, let's go forward, let's go forward and really focus on where are we at and what might we be missing that's preventing us from moving forward. Now, the last one that I wanna talk about, I'm actually looking at my notes right now, uh, is from someone who has transferred to a new school district. And so she's working on having her her child's team understand her child's needs. We all know that it's very difficult to communicate who a child is and what they need and how they can be supported on a good day, meaning on a typical school day. Now here we are in virtual world and family moves across the country and they have to try to introduce their child to the school system virtually and get his needs met. And she's hearing a lot of language from the school that's not appropriate. And let me just call out that school who's saying that a child can't access a special education classroom because they're not severe enough. Just sit with that for a second there. Does it make your like gut go on fire? Cause it does for me. You know what, where's the definition of severe for that special education classroom? I can guarantee it's not in writing. This is a old system of thinking in special education that a child has to be severe to access specialized instruction in a special education classroom? Absolutely not. Now, this mama was struggling a bit because this is a new diagnosis for her child that she's trying to explain to the school. She's trying to get his needs met and he's not being recognized as needing supports because he's not severe enough. And all of that, just doesn't sit well in a conversation in making sure that a child is getting an appropriate education. So as we were having these office hours, the great thing inside of the Special Ed Inner Circle is that you have the support of master IEP coaches to help bring you collaborative strategies in different language because everybody describes things differently and different areas of the country talks about special education differently so master ip coaches jumped in to help this mom and they said things like you know how about helping the school understand that your child is high functioning but requires structured support And I know that in our disability world that there's a lot of pushback with using the words high functioning and low functioning. But here's the thing. I can't fix the school system language and perception immediately. I can't do it. I will do my darndest during my career to get everybody moving forward and out of the archaic thinking. But sometimes we have to speak their language so they can hear what's being said, and then we can teach and move on. So uh, another mom said, and this is a a mom who has a child who has autism, who's helping out this mom. She says, how about uh, explaining to the school that he is not as impacted but he still needs to access his education the same as his peers to meet his unique learning needs. I love that. And it's really important for us to know that although a child may not clinically be be defined at a certain level, that a child is impacted by their disability. And that's okay. And we can address that in many different ways. So this Old school thinking of only kids like this go over here and only kids like that go over there is not meeting a child's unique needs. So being able to find that language and really start to communicate with the school so they can hear you, then you can educate the school more on how they can really define that individualized program and meet the child's unique needs and help them access their education and that we don't have to rely on words like severe to get into a special education classroom. If a child needs specialized instruction, so be it. Special education is a service, not a place. Let me say that again for you. Special education is a service, not a place. She's trying to explain to the school that her child needs more services. They're saying no, but he can't go to that place. That's not right. It's a service, not a place. He needs services to access his education. How those services are implemented should be individualized. So on that note today, guys, there's your hot topics of what's happening right now, real world from teachers, from parents, inside of our uh, wrapping up of 2020 in the special education inner circle. Again, if you have questions, you want the support, you want the right words to talk to your school, whether you're a parent or teacher, an admin, a therapist, I encourage you to come join us over at the specialedinnercircle.com. If you are hearing the word master IEP coach for the first time and you're thinking, what the heck is a master IEP coach? And how do they help parents and teachers navigate the system? Because you wanna do that. You wanna master all this IEP stuff and you want to help others, that's over at masteriepcoach.com. I truly appreciate you guys being here. If you would be so kind and run over to iTunes and leave a review, every time a review gets left, Apple sends this out to more teachers, to more parents, and we get to help more students get the education that they need. All right, everyone, on that note, I will see you next time.